We're making it easier to listen to the World Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Ulysses S. Grant left Illinois to fight in the Civil War. Among his most famous campaigns was that at Vicksburg, Mississippi, which he eventually conquered. He did not return to Illinois, but became instead president. A hundred years later, his papers did, however, to Southern Illinois University. Yet today, they too have found their way to the state of Mississippi, to Mississippi State University in Starkville. How did they get there? What are they doing there? We'll talk today with the executive director of the Papers of U.S. Grant. He is John Marzalek, and he'll be our guest today on Civil War Talk Radio. Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. If you are a parent of a child with autism, you know that there can be day-to-day struggles emotionally. Now you can share insights and outlooks with the Mother Cub Show. Your host, Susan Lynn Perry, a parent of a child with autism, will bring a new perspective to the subject from diagnosis to effective treatments that are working. Her guests will include professionals, authors, and individuals that will bring wonder and hope to the world of autism. Tune in to the Mother Cub Show, Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite World Talk Radio Network host? How about what's new with our network? Make sure you check out the iRadio blog, a look at what's hot at World Talk Radio and beyond. Visit www.iradioblog.com today. Get the inside scoop on every channel on our network, including breaking news, featured guests, blog posts from our hosts, and much more. Make sure you sign up for our newsletter for even more inside action. Visit iradioblog.com today and stay connected. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you on an absolutely miserable, cold, rainy Friday afternoon in early February 2011 from the campus of East Carolina University, the third floor of the Brewster Building the prison-like Brewster Building where the History Department is housed here at ECU, but not speaking for ECU or its uh, any branch of the UNC system, just my own ideas and opinions, as always. Our guest will speak for himself and not any other institution. The uh, uh, situation, as it was last week, is 
as bleak indoors as it is out with the state budget crumbling around us and wondering what kind of funds we'll have uh, for the year ahead, making our fall class schedules this week and wondering which fixed-term faculty members to pencil in and which ones to just assume won't be funded. It's it's a, an unpleasant uh, task, uh, not, uh, not a good thing to be doing at all. Uh, and everybody on campus is, is worried and working on the same sort of issues. The vice chancellor for uh, research just called here uh, 10 minutes ago, and I, I missed the call, and I returned it. And uh, I said, well, call us back right after 3. And I said, no, I'm going to be on a, I call a conference call. I'm going to be busy from 3 to 4 o'clock today. Uh, so I'm sitting here watching the light flash on, and I know it's the vice chancellor trying to reach me, and I'm just pushing the divert button, and it goes into my voicemail automatically. Um, it's a rare moment of, of, of academic power that I can just divert the vice chancellor without, uh, with, and there's nothing that she can do about it at the moment, unless she's listening to the show, in which case I should just pack up my office now and get out. Uh, but hopefully she is, is unaware that that's what's going on. Uh, the moments I get to spend uh, with you, uh, the Civil War talk radio world, uh, or with my students in uh, Civil War or other American history classes are blissful oases of academic endeavor in, in the ocean of red ink that otherwise must be negotiated. So I'm, I'm happy to be here. I hope you are too. And I'll stop talking about this. Tell you instead that Civil War Talk Radio forges ahead. Uh, next week will be close enough to Lincoln's birthday that we will appropriately have Dan Weinberg of the Abraham Lincoln Bookshop as our guest. And the following week, uh, Mark A. Whites, who has written several books, uh, uh, one that interests me in particular on the piracy and uh, sequestration cases of 1861, uh, legal cases that helped define the, the existence of the Confederacy in, in uh, terms of how it would be handled by the Union uh, as, as a legal entity. Uh, we'll talk with him about that. He's also written about Confederate desertion, so uh, another legal issue there, and, and that should be interesting. Uh, in the weeks that follow, we've got two different authors who've both written on the situation in Missouri, uh, Lincoln's handling of it, uh, two very different approaches, and we'll be uh, talking with them late in February, early March, so a lot of interesting things there. And if you're going to be in North Carolina on March 26th, uh, there's a public history of the Civil War Conference at NC State. The opening presentation, uh, 9.30 that Saturday morning, uh, will be a panel with last week's guest, Thomas Mackey, the director of the uh, Abraham Lincoln Museum at Lincoln Memorial University. Also, Aaron Carlson Mast, the uh, director of the Lincoln Cottage, the Anderson Cottage uh, Soldiers' Home, the, the place outside of, uh, or inside of Washington near the White House. Uh, and uh, myself, all three of us talking about public perceptions of Abraham Lincoln. So hope you can join us for that. And we'll talk about other things. There's all kinds of uh, uh, current news going on as we are in the 150th anniversary year. Last week we talked about, uh, uh, Tom Mackey and I talked about uh, the story from the National Archives. One of our colleagues, I guess ex-colleagues now, uh, drumming him out of the uh, uh, Association of Lincoln People, uh, Thomas Lowry defacing a document uh, for his own reputation. Uh, and this week we've got the news about Walmart uh, deciding not to build in the wilderness, and we'll talk with our guest about that in just a moment. Uh, last item of news for World Talk Radio listeners, there was a 
makeover of the Voice America website. As World Talk Radio are the corporate overlords of this show, uh, Voice America apparently are the, uh, the, the sort of uh, uh, mega overlords of of World Talk Radio. There, there's some relationship there that I don't understand. But when they changed their website, it changed everything, uh, made all the links go crazy, and you couldn't get any of the shows for a day or two. Uh, but they're back, uh, as far as I can tell, and partly uh, thanks to the web wizard Mark Gaffney, who runs the impedimentsofwar.org website, which supports this show. Uh, visit the website, and uh, you can hear uh, or get direct links to all the old shows. And you can also find out what's happening recently through the Facebook page that Mark has set up for impedimentsofwar.org. And that is all about Civil War Talk Radio. So let's move on uh, out of the 21st century back to the 19th as quickly as we can uh, and, and talk to our guest today, uh, Professor John Marzalak. John, are you there? Yes, I am, Jerry. Good to hear your voice. Oh, good to hear you, too. Uh, it is so nice to be doing this and not uh, crunching numbers or anything. The, uh, the, the, the envy I have for those who have retired from the active service and, and found more congenial things to do is, uh, is very strong on a day like this. It really well. I tell you what you were talking about, the weather in uh, North Carolina. We just uh, avoided a, an ice storm here at uh, Mississippi State University in Starkville, so we're 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 happy ab- happy about that certainly, and we're we're having our own uh, financial problems, but uh, we've got a b- believe it or not, we have a very good administration here, and they seem to be guiding us through these perilous waters, so we're we're keeping our fingers crossed. Well, good luck, and that's good to hear. We're uh, uh, if, if there is any bright side, I suppose our, our faculty in the department are certainly pulling together and, and, and recognizing everyone's in the same boat and not yes, right, uh, not trying to to blame any anyone too low up the totem pole, uh, <laughs> such as myself, uh, uh, yes. or the dean or the provost. It's, uh, you got to go to the state legislature to find, uh, or the the economy as a whole, really. I think so. Yeah. Well, let me uh, let's start with the grant papers, if, if we could, and uh, ask you about that. The the grant, uh, the U.S. grant papers uh, for many years were housed at uh, Carbondale, uh, the Southern Illinois University project run by our our late uh, good friend John Y. Simon. And I won't go into the, uh, the sordid tale of why they're not there, but uh, why are they in in Starkville? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's a question that I think you'll believe. Uh, I've been asked any number of uh, any number of times, and and there are a couple of ways to answer that. One of the ways I'll I'll answer it, and our our president Mark Keenum likes to say this too. Um, without Mississippi, uh, U.S. Grant would not be a household word. I mean, we we here in this state made him famous because of what, <laughs> what happened at, at uh. Vicksburg. And but interestingly too. Uh, later on, when the national park was being established there, uh, the first chair of the of the commission was a Confederate general named Stephen D. Lee, who had fought Grant and was one of the ones who had fought Grant at uh, Vicksburg. And it just so happens he was the first president of Mississippi State University. And it was through his efforts that, of course, Vicksburg is this wonderful military park. It is which, of course, memorializes the, the great victory that U.S. Grant achieved. So one could argue that it was fated that it come here. And then finally, Thomas Nast, uh, 
uh, many years ago, the famous cartoonist uh, did a cartoon showing Grant as a bulldog. Well, Mississippi State's mascot is the bulldog. And and then uh, uh, finally, the famous letter that Lincoln wrote where he told uh, Grant to hold on like a bulldog and rip and tear, and et cetera, et cetera, during the Virginia campaign. So all those things indicated that it, that it was fated that uh, the papers come here. But actually, what what did happen, is, as you said so, uh, so well, our good friend John Y. Simon, who who was the heart and soul of the Ulysses S. Grant Association for since 1962 when he died in July of 2008. Well, when he died, uh, as you know, um, the, the association had decided it was going to leave Southern Illinois University anyway. And in August, I uh, was asked to um, to become the only second executive director in the in the history of the Grant Association, and. Uh, so we began talking about where it was going to go. A lot of places were interested in getting this magnificent collection. And uh, what happened, it was a team effort uh, here at Mississippi State. We had two interim presidents and our the president, Dr. Keenum, who's in, in office now, and the dean of, of libraries, Francis Coleman, and, and I and others worked together and made a proposal to the board, and the board accepted it. And I, and I have to tell you, it's one of those wonderful experiences because the papers actually came here in December of 2008. We did not actually sign the formal uh, legal documents until January of 2009. So as our president, Frank Williams, likes to say, uh, we did it on a handshake. It was a handshake across cross country, but we did it on a handshake that was that much confidence both in the Grand Association and in Mississippi State that we were able to do it. Well, that is a, a good story, and it's good to know that they're there. What is the state of, of the papers in terms of access for scholars? Yeah, what, what we did, as you know, uh, when the material was um, at Southern Illinois University, um, and uh, John Y. and his editors were working on the uh, publication of the papers, uh, of course, they published uh, some 30 uh, volumes of grant papers, and volume 31 was just about finished when we came here, and we finished it up. And since that time, we have uh, finished volume 32, the supplementary volume, which ought to be coming out in 2011. So um, th- what we have done from the minute we, we came here, we decided, all of those of us who were involved in this at the university and the grant association, that we were going to make these uh, papers available to scholars as quickly as we could. And so one of the things we did is we have a website uh, that you can you can Google on the U.S. Grant Association and find it very easily. And uh, we, we, we began organizing things so scholars could come, and the Grant Association started a, a travel grant program of uh, $500 per per scholar who could come for a, for a visit here. And we're beginning to have scholars coming, and students are using the papers while we're continuing our, our effort to, um, to continue uh, publishing. In fact, we're, we're working on the memoirs, a scholarly edition of the memoirs. But yeah, the exciting thing to all of us is that, yeah, they are, they are there. We've digitized all 32 volumes, uh, or 31 volumes, rather, and it's on our website, too, so people can, can you know, scholars can use their, that around the world, and then you can come here and use the 80% of the material that never was published. So that was actually my next question. You, you've 
published in print form and now made accessible online uh, over 30 volumes of papers. Right, right. But that's not the bulk of what's there. No, no. It's uh, in fact, it's 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 absolutely amazing uh, how much stuff we have. We 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 estimate we have 15,000 linear feet of material. And most of these are copies. Uh, we have about three manuscript boxes of original letters of various kinds. But most of what we have are copies of um, grant letters and letters to grant from literally around the world. Um, and, uh, uh, and the digitization has helped, but you people really have to come to Mississippi State University, the Mitchell Memorial Library, and spend time going through our material because we have a lot more, even than just the copies of uh, of uh, letters and documents and speeches and so. So uh, people often say, you know, why don't you just digitize everything? And that's sort of the answer. I guess that came up with the Lowry case. Why doesn't the National Archive just digitize what they have? Well, they have ten billion pages. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's, uh, they'll, they'll get around to it. But well, uh, we have, for example, one of the things we have, and uh, which tells you, I guess, how, how times are changing and have changed. But what we call our source file would be the equivalent of the old card catalog, where every document we have is indexed by. Uh, by the date, by who wrote it, who received it, the accession number, and where where the original exists. And we had an open house when we first came here, and a young college girl came in, and my wife Jean was. Uh, she comes, she's a volunteer and helps us, and and she was standing around explaining this to somebody. And this young lady said, "Well, I just don't understand why why didn't when they started this why didn't they just digitize it?" And she pointed <laughs> out 1962. <laughs> but but again, you know, we we're so used to that. But you're right; it would be it would be a well. Neither of us will be alive to see that, and none of us no. has enough money to do it either. You know. But I guess that does indicate then that there's still plenty of scope for the old-fashioned, uh, you know, Sitzkrieg, where you you go and plant right. yourself down at the archives and 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 get file after file and look for things that that maybe no one has ever seen or no one has seen in in 150 years. Well, this is, in fact, Jerry, this is one of the exciting things for me as a, as a historian and, and really new at this, this game of, uh, of um, maintaining papers this way. We, we just find new things all the time. I mean, you know, there, we, I, I had never seen this collection in person uh, until I, I took over the, the position. So we still find things we didn't know we had. And we have, we have uh, well, about 95 uh, chock-full uh, file cabinets and then about 150 to 160 manuscript boxes of all kinds of material. So there's doctoral dissertations and books and articles just galore if you know, people want to come and use it, and we welcome people. So there is there is certainly uh, you know for graduate students listening there there is grist for the mill here there is oh, uh, yes oh my uh, I I sat down one day to, uh, when oh I guess just about we'd been here about a couple months and something struck me and I just sat down and off the top of my head without really researching it I I wrote down a list of possible topics that people could work on. And I think I had 15 or 16 uh, before I, you know, before I saw the phone rang and I had to stop. I mean, it's just there's just a lot of stuff there that uh, has never been looked at. Uh, just to give you one example, we yeah. have uh, uh, Orville Babcock. You remember, it was an aide mm -hmm. to uh, to Grant and the presidency, and of course in the army. Well, we have um, the journals that he kept uh, when he was sent by Grant to Santo Domingo. And from what we've been able to gather, nobody knew these things existed. 
the family just gave it to us. So, so one of our one of our archivists is is, is doing a, a project on that. But there's a lot more there that could be you know could be done. So yeah, there's just a ton of stuff. Wow, well that, that is, is fascinating. You said you're you're doing the uh, a scholarly edition of, of Grant's memoirs, which uh, I, I would guess nine tenths of the people listening to the show have read at some point because they are the masterpiece of Civil War literature. Uh, we, the, the Mark Twain just had a uh, right uh, the, the volume released of the material the the sense I don't know what you call it the, the embargoed yes material right. is now available. Um, is this anything quite so dramatic? Will we find new things in the Grant memoirs uh, that, that you you expect to to publish, or, or is this going to be annotated? Uh, what what do you envision? Well, we, yeah, well, that's that's a very good question. What uh, in fact we've been you know we've been meeting because it 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 is a totally I mean we're it's like a pivot from the from the editing documents and letters to editing uh, memoirs as you as you well know. And so we've, we're still tossing things back and forth, how we're going to approach this. But what, what we're looking to do is we're looking with this publication to do a scholarly edition of these memoirs, annotated and, uh, you know, with a very um, detailed introduction and explanation and all. And then once we, once we get that done, then we're going to want to do a, um, a more, for want of a better way of putting it, a, a more popular edition uh, that would replace the editions that have been, uh, you know, have been out for uh, any number of years. And, and just looking at uh, looking at, uh, at the manuscript, uh, the, the manuscript for the memoirs is at the uh, Library of Congress. It was given there by a U.S. Grant III, donated a whole bunch of uh, papers. That's the biggest cache of original uh, grant material. But they don't have all the stuff from every place else that uh, that we have. But but it, it's um, it, it's um, a, 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 we find that in looking at the original manuscript, there is a lot of stuff that Grant was writing, and then he crossed out and he changed, and and then of course this, this, uh, his son was helping, and Adam Badeau was was helping him in the writing. So all of this we need to uh, take a look at, it, and we have to decide really how we're going to approach this and I'll be honest with you we're still tussling with this uh, I think we're, we're we we know what we're going to do I think but at this point we're still flexible enough I hope that if you know if it's something hits us we're going to go about it a different way but but this will be rather than the, than the totally readable edition that you might be thinking of this is going to be the scholarly edition with the annotations etc well, that uh, I think there will be a lot of people who will want to read that. We're going to take a short break now. We'll come back in just a minute with John Marslack. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take World Talk Radio on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. People are looking for hands-on alternatives to conventional psychotherapy. Long-term therapy and medications to treat depression and anxiety are no longer the only answer. Tune in to Holistic Answers to Mental Health with your host, Aileen Neely. Let Aileen show you the techniques of energy psychology. You'll learn some of the more effective methods being used to treat stress, anxiety, marital issues, infertility, and empowerment. Listen every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio. Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on World Talk Radio Variety. Listen. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Talking today with John Marslak. He's the executive director of the U.S. Grant Papers, the papers of Ulysses S. Grant at uh, Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi. We talked a little bit in our first segment about how the papers ended up in Mississippi, the state that made Grant famous at Vicksburg, and uh, a little bit about the many possibilities, the uh, large percentage of material not yet uh, published among the 30 volumes of Grant papers that are now available online and in print. Uh, there's still lots more interesting material there, and uh, uh, definitely something to, to look forward to. John, you were talking about doing a scholarly edition of Grant's memoirs, and, and you contrasted that with you know the popular sort of readable edition. Uh, but as you were talking, I was thinking of the work that uh, uh, Rodney Davis and, and uh, uh, Doug Wilson have done uh, up at the Lincoln Study Center at Knox College with the the annotated uh, uh, biography of Lincoln uh, by Herndon or the annotated uh, Herndon's informants. And while they are, are, are they're models of scholarship, they are richly annotated, uh, you know, more footnote material than original material, mm-hmm. practically. But they're fascinating to read. Uh, they're, the, the, the annotations are not uh, dry. To, to see where all this stuff comes from or what it means makes, uh, or, or maybe it's just because that's what we do for a living, we find it interesting. <laughs> but I, I would be very excited to see a, a version of Grant's memoirs uh, with annotations explaining uh, a little bit about you know who what this place is or who these people are or what uh, what he was doing or what the what the editorial choices were for a given paragraph that he may have crossed out and then put back in and crossed out and so on yeah i think i i agree i think um, and and it may be it's going to be one of those things that we won't know until it's uh, until we're finished and it's published just how the what the you know the general um historians react historians reaction and, and the reaction of the of the the general reading public because i think you're right i mean it's uh, it is absolutely fascinating to uh uh to look at i mean to read the thing in any form is is just amazing i mean it uh, people ask me uh, regularly one of the things questions say well what what new have you learned about grant and one mm-hmm. and i i don't know if you know i, I don't want to try to answer that but but what what has struck me 
more than anything else is just how well this guy wrote. I mean, you know, you don't think of Grant as being a great writer. You know, some people say, you know, the memoirs, yes. But, but just his regular letters and all, he just had a, a talent for getting things said so clearly that when he sent an order to his subordinates, they knew exactly what they, what they had to do. Uh, and, and his, uh, his uh, um, humility, I think, is another thing that comes out. He just, uh, he's just such a, a regular guy, to use a modern expression, that, uh, that he's, he's just very appealing. Between Grant and Lincoln, uh, the ratio of ability and, and uh, uh, talent, these are two modest words, but uh, their, their qualities divided by their egos, uh, I can't imagine a higher quotient possible, uh, two very modest yes. individuals. That's, yeah, exactly. That's, and, you know, and, and this is, uh, somebody just asked me this the other day about the, you know the relationship of Grant and Lincoln, and and when you think about it, I mean these these people never met each other until Lincoln had already decided to appoint um, Grant as his um, you know uh, commanding general, and I mean this is and some of the stuff that he says about Grant and what Grant comes to really admire uh, a Lincoln, and even the the irony that uh, that. Grant could very well have been in that uh, in that theater box uh, mm-hmm. on that awful day. I mean, it's just there's there's tremendous connections. And later uh, later on, after the war, uh, a lot of point times when Grant talks about Lincoln, and you can see there's an enormous affection and respect he has. The uh, you've written a biography of, of Sherman and biography of, of Halleck. Uh, is, is Grant uh, anywhere on your list? Uh, that's a good. Well, I'll tell you what I was. What I was. I was innocently minding my own business. Uh, <laughs> one, Stories uh, like that one never day go well. <laughs> yeah. And I was working on actually a, a book on uh, uh, the development of the reputations of Sherman and Robert E. Lee, kind of trying to look come at the lost cause and and that from that particular point of view. When I got two phone calls, and I, as you mentioned, I had uh, retired, but I got one phone call asking me to come back and uh, be the uh, director and mentor of what we call our Distinguished Scholars Program here at Mississippi State. Uh, these are the young people who have the uh, undergraduates who have the biggest, most prestigious scholarship the university has. So I said, yes, I loved working with them, mm-hmm. and Gene loves working with them. So I said, yes, and then about a week later, I get a phone call from our mutual friend Frank Williams, uh, hmm. retired Supreme Court justice, and he says to me, and, and you know, we both know Frank in his inimitable style, he said, well, what are you doing <laughs> next year? And I said, well, I said, I just, and, I, and he said, oh, oh, well, I'm calling to ask you if you would be, you know, become the executive director of the Ulysses S. Grant Association and the, and the managing editor of the, of the continuing publication of the papers. And he said, no, no, no pressure. Now you just, you know, you talk it over with Gene and you see what you want to do. Well, as soon as I got off the phone, I walked to the kitchen because I was working in my office at home. And I said, I said, Gene, I want to do this. Uh-huh. <laughs> she said, well, you've really given me a choice here. Haven't you? <laughs> but it was, it's been a, it's been a absolutely marvelous, marvelous uh, experience to, uh, you know, to put it mildly. So, so do you think uh, it will lead to a biography? Uh, will, you, will you follow the Sherman Halleck? I don't, you know, I don't Grant? know because uh, there are there are some other people who are working on 
on biographies, and I, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, really wonderful book that Joan Wall uh, yeah. wrote here just about a year ago now. But you know, I, I, I'm, the point I was getting at, and I lost my train of thought, is you just never can say never because you just don't mm. know what's going to happen. The phone may ring again, and who knows what uh, you know what meant me there. But but I, I mean, I could see myself doing that because I, I do uh, I do find uh, Grant to be an absolutely intriguing individual, but. If truth be told, I'm going to do that Lee Sherman book before I do anything else. Uh, uh, Joan Waugh was was on the show last year to talk about that book, and it is very, uh, uh, very, very good. And uh, and my colleague down the hall here at ECU, Charles Calhoun, is is working on his Grant book as well. That's Uh, right. I was going to. I was. I. I, I'm aware of that. You know, and we have to. When you see him, tell him we like to see him. Come, come and uh, spend some time with us because we could. Because I haven't seen him in in many, many years, but he's a first-rate historian, so I know he'll do a good job. He he, he, is. He's uh, more oriented to the post-war, the the Gilded Age era, but uh, I know he'll have plenty to say about uh, uh, war matters as well. I, I'm actually not going to do that, John, because if I do, then he'll turn around and ask me as department chair for some travel money <laughs> to go right, to the exactly. Well, tell and, me, we do have, you know, we've got that, not a whole lot of money, but a $500 travel grant, and he puts in the proposal, you know, and we'll certainly give it great consideration. That, I will make him aware of that, because yep. if, if we can send him off uh, on your dime, uh, I'd be thrilled to do that. that uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, we've, and we've, as I say, we've, we've already... Well, the Grant Association is uh, is funding up to five a year for us, and uh, and this is really the first year that it's kicking in, and people are just starting to find out about it. And we've had one one well known historian here, and then we're we're getting a couple others that are coming. So love to have uh, have him come too. Well, let me ask you a question. You mentioned uh, how you know you were new to the game of of managing a, a major archival project, and I. Recall, I, I know when I started at the Lincoln Museum in, in Fort Wayne, it was my first experience in, in public history, sort of thrown in at the deep end, uh, and loved it. it. It turned out to be great. But uh, one of the things that, that you have to deal with uh, in managing uh, archives, and this, the Lowry incident brings that into to yeah. sharp light, is, is security. Right. Um, can you tell us the, the passwords and, and uh, other security? <laughs> 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 well, fortunately, would we um, we have an, an area here in the library. Actually, what it was at at one time, well, it still is. It's a Congressional Political Research Center, and it has uh, the papers of uh, well-known Mississippi politicians like the former Senator Stennis and Sonny Montgomery, the father of the GI Bill, and people like that. Their papers are here, and uh, and in fact, my wife's papers are here. She was here before I was. She was. For ten years, was chairman of the of the county uh, Democratic Party. So all her papers, magnificent stuff on local, you know, local politics, uh, uh, is here. So we came to an already existing operation and with already existing people. Mike Ballard is is our assistant editor, and he's a you know mm-hmm. well known uh, historian. Fellow named Ryan Sems is our uh, is our assistant archivist, and he's he's just marvelous and. Uh, our assistant editor is uh, Aaron Crawford, who uh, who worked on both the Polk and the Jackson papers at the University of Tennessee. So we had, you know, we've got people who've, who've who who are really good. And my assistant Elizabeth Coggins is, I mean, if 
I don't know what I'd do if she wouldn't keep me or try to keep me straight, you know, and what I'm supposed to be doing. But but anyway, we've had an already existing situation here, and with existing uh, security um, um, stuff, whatever whatever the term would be, and all our all our our material is most of our material, not the originals, but all the copies are in file cabinets and they're they're just kept locked all of the time and and we're not the room isn't that big that we can't keep a close watch on what's going on but it scares you i mean it really does uh the possibility of something happening and people come to me and say well what would you do if the place caught on fire and hmm. i said i would kill myself you know I mean, <laughs> what else what other answer would there be but i'm 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 that that is not an issue. I'll tell you the thing that I've gotten more out of, I think, and I've enjoyed immensely, is one of the things that our president and our, our library dean are very much in favor of is sharing this as much as possible with mm-hmm. the university community and the community uh, of Mississippi. And so I'm doing a lot of speaking around the state and really around the country about the grant papers. And we're bringing in a lot of public groups, school groups and others, to see what we're doing. We're trying to kind of educate them on, on you know, what is an archival uh, program like? What's a publication uh, a program like? And, uh, and, and you know, we're, we're funded by the NEH and NHPRC, uh, partially funded by both of them. And that, you know, we try to point out the important work they do in sponsoring activities like this. So a lot of that, pub, I guess, public history, reaching out to the public, mm-hmm. letting them know what, what all this means. Well, in, in doing that and talking to the public, uh, you are, after all, in Mississippi, and this is U.S. Grant. Do you, right. do you, you must encounter uh, some, some people who have who understand the war of northern aggression in a way perhaps <laughs> differently than you do. Yeah. Well, you know, this Jerry, this has been one of the most uh, happiest thing about this whole project. We have been here now, it's going to be about two years, and uh, there is only one individual that I can remember in all of this time, and it's been all over the papers, and there have been television, and USA Today has done something, and Chicago Tribune did something, and you know other 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 groups and other media outlets have have done stories on it, and of course all over Mississippi. There's only been one individual in all of that time that really said anything negative, and uh, unfortunately he was a uh, one of the sons of the Confederate veterans, and happened to be the chaplain. I found out later on, which I thought was even more ironic, but he thought it was awful. But even he turned around when he saw the kind of reaction we got from the, you know, from the state as a, as a whole to basically say, well, yes, it is a, a good thing that the grant papers are in Mississippi because now we can really learn the truth about them. And I uh. said, you know, I agree. I think that's, I would agree with that 100%, you know. So, so it, you know, it's been, it's, been, it's been really, really marvelous. We've had local... Uh, political figures, for example, come for tours, and uh, so no, it's 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 been great. I mean, it indicates, uh, and I think that's a, a secret about Mississippi. There's there's less of that old stuff around than a lot of people think there. You know, there is. Well, that that is good to hear. It's it's not uh, uh, over here in in the old North State. We are not immune. There was a <laughs> a letter from a, a noted local SCV person about uh, slavery not being the cause of the Civil War in our local paper a few weeks ago, and I felt duty bound to respond, yes. uh, uh, which I did. Uh, 
And then the uh, subsequent flow of letters, and each time I open the paper in the morning, I think, oh, this one's going to rip me a new one. But yes. all the letters have, have agreed with uh, the mainstream point that, of course, slavery was, was central to the cause of the war. And, and uh, you can still be a loyal Southerner and, and recognize historical truth at the same time. Uh, so, so I think there may be less of that here too. Uh, at least I hope so. Yeah, I think you know. I think that because yeah, we 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 get that. And I, I used to joke when I was still teaching that I learned you can I, I learned all my Civil War from the uh, letters to the editor column of the newspaper <laughs> in the states. You know, but because there's some one amazingly wonderful things. But but I think that is. I think that's that's changing. We we have a Civil War roundtable here, for example. It's been in existence for about 20 years, and. Uh, those kinds of issues don't play. We have, you know, topics and speakers on on all sorts of issues, and there's never been a, a problem. So, but I think we set a tone at the beginning. Uh, Mike Ballard mm-hmm. and I and Bill Parrish, who you probably know, is a famous uh, the historian of the state of Missouri during the Civil War, and three of us and another guy uh, put this thing together. And from the beginning, we said we're not going to tolerate any any of this foolishness, and, mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened. So, keeping our fingers crossed. Well, that, that is good. Well, we'll take another short break. We'll come back, talk some more Civil War with our guest, John Marzalek. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel where the world comes to listen and talk. Are you looking for tips, tricks, secrets, and techniques that you can use anywhere, anytime, on virtually any problem? Tune in to Magic at Your Fingertips with EFT virtuoso Teresa Bolin. You are a divine manifestation of love and light. Take back control of your life and create the life that you want using EFT, Emotional Freedom Techniques. You'll overcome the obstacles that stand in the way of living your heart's desire. Magic at Your Fingertips airs live at 6 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern, and 10 p.m. in Japan on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. If you are looking to get started or are currently operating a home-based business, you might be looking for answers. What are the risks? What business should I get started in? How will I market my business? How do I balance my professional life with my other life? For answers, you need to tune into The Home-Based Business Show with Helene Leontos. Each week, we'll bring you a step-by-step practical guide to starting and maintaining your home-based business. Listen every Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking today with the executive director of the Papers of U.S. Grant. His name is John Marzalek. He's in at Mississippi State University in Starkville, Mississippi. And we've been talking about how the papers got there and uh, the marvelous things that are in them that haven't been looked at yet and some of the uses that are being made of them uh, and some of the future publication plans, including a very exciting annotated edition of Grant's memoirs that we can look forward to at, at some point in the future. Is there, a, a, John, a ballpark year on, on when that uh, 
project might get going or or even be completed? Oh, the, the memoirs. Um, I wish I I wish I could be more forthright. You know, but yeah. we, as I say, we just we just submitted in the end, well, mid December, the volume thirty two, the supplementary volume, and we've been we've been working on this memoirs. You know, in conjunction with that, about the uh, about the same time. But but I'll be honest with you, we you know we we. Um, we I've made some commitments to uh, to our funding agencies and we're going to try to try to meet them but but the more I think about it the more afraid I am to uh to to give a specific date because uh, one of the things I'm learning is that it always takes longer to do these editorial projects than you think they're going to take and so so uh, but I'm I'm thinking within a couple of years I think we're you know we're 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 capable of of getting it done within a couple of years I, I shouldn't say this. One of my colleagues who uh, does naval history tells me the uh, naval history papers that uh, were being edited as part of the bicentennial of the American Revolution, um, they were supposed to finish those with the bicentennial. They, they're not out of the, the 1770s yet, oh, yes. um, and it's, it's three decades later. So, uh, you know, you never know how long no, these things will take. No, you don't know. And, and one advantage we had is... Uh, John Y. Simon and his and his editors were very well organized. Uh, uh, they they had a, a system in place that we were able to, you know, move into. We changed some things, obviously, to to, to meet our own styles. But uh, but the fact was that they had they had prepared, you know, along along the way for for these later volumes that uh, that we're doing. So so we really, you know, it's a classic example of standing in other people's. Uh, on other people's soldiers, shoulders, and I have to tell you that you know we both knew John Y. and uh, you know admired him for his work, but I admire him even more now. You know, being able to see what he did, and you walk in this and you look around, and you say, "This man gave his life for this project." I mean, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, he spent his entire life working on it, and fortunately, uh, uh, his uh, widow uh, Harriet Simon, who's a uh, editor in her own right of the Dewey Papers at Southern uh, uh, Illinois University has been incredibly cooperative. I mean, any time mm-hmm. I ask her anything for any help or any support, she's she's right there. So that's been terrific. Well, that is good good to hear. The um, you mentioned earlier that that you you one of the reasons why the people of Mississippi uh, welcomed the Grant Papers was, uh, as you put it, now they can find out all about it, find the truth. Yes. Uh, and I'm going to guess this must be the question you get asked more than any other. Um, so what about Grant and, and, and the drink? Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, what, yes. What have you now? You got the actual papers there. What have you found out? Well, <laughs> well, yeah. This comes up. This comes up regularly, and it's it's interesting because. Um, uh, Mike, I'll just divert a little bit. Mike Ballard is is working on a book in which uh, it's going to be a study of the actual siege of Vicksburg, not just the campaign, but the actual siege. Nobody's ever gotten into all the engineering stuff and all of this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So he's uh, he's working on that. But in, in the process, he, he you know got into the famous Cadwallader Cadwallader, and I never can pronounce the guy's name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that uh, account where he says that Grant got roaring drunk at uh, at uh, Vicksburg and they had to put him to bed and all this stuff. Well, Mike uh, Mike has been looking into this and it's it's apocryphal. It just simply does not does not exist. And and we we have a letter that's going to be coming out in our volume 32, where uh, some of uh, the uh, people from Galena, his old hometown. 
people like the sheriff and the mayor and these kind of people and the, the, the community leaders uh, put out a letter saying, we keep getting questions about Grant being a drunkard, and uh, we need to tell you we never saw him inebriated all the time. We knew it, and da-da-da-da, and they've got it notarized by the some, you know, clerk and uh, court clerk in town. So we, yeah, we're we're finding things like you know things like that. But these stories are hard to hard to beat down. It's like the butcher story. I mean that that's just there too. It, and the, that he was an incompetent president. That story's out there, and that's certainly not not true either. So I like to think that the um, that the Grant's reputation is changing because of the work that John Y. Simon did in publishing these papers. Because yeah. You got the papers, you can find out the truth about Grant, and the truth is he was a greater man than his than the mythology gives him credit for. Well, you know, with the Army issue, I think uh, a lot of listeners here would agree if they've looked at the campaigns much beyond the surface, you know, the, the, the butcher myth that that Grant was, was, was actually quite, uh, uh, you know, well, well, obviously was successful ultimately, but, mm-hmm. but was not uh, wasteful of lives. And... Uh, but the presidency, on the other hand, that also seems to be coming around. And, and yeah. again, maybe I, because I talked to, to Chuck Calhoun about this a lot, uh, but that, that there's a, as people see Reconstruction differently, and yes. that's, that's gradually changing, uh, there's recognition that Grant really tried to do uh, the right thing more than he gets credit for. Oh, exactly. I think you, you've hit it. I think you've hit it right on the head. You know, I think what what has happened is in in in, the, in finding out what really was going on. Uh, historians are finding out that in in so many ways he was the first of the modern presidents. Uh, for example, you know this tour around the world after his presidency. No president had done that. The guy that when he's touring. Uh, uh, they ask him to uh, to uh, mediate between the Japanese and the Chinese a possible war, and he does that. He talks to Bismarck, and he's treated like a world uh, world celebrity. Uh, that and uh, his his attitude toward African Americans, his attitude toward the uh, uh, toward the Indians. I mean, it's uh, he's he's interesting enough. He's gone from being considered one of the worst presidents. He's about in the middle now. Which is which is intriguing, an amazing uh, metamorphosis there. And it is interesting to see that we did an exhibit when I was at the Lincoln Museum tracing uh, presidential reputations and the way oh, they rose yeah. and fell over time. And it was, uh, you know, Andrew Johnson was once uh, very much in the middle, upper half even, and uh, now is at the very bottom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then Grant is, is starting to come up. Right. Well, right. Uh, speaking of Grant and, and uh, the, the butcher idea, I'm sure you saw the news this week that uh, Walmart is not going to build a superstore in the middle yes. of the wilderness. Yes. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I, you know, I, I'm. I'll tell you, I'm amazed. Not from a historical point of view, uh, but I think what it may say. And I'm not an economist, and I'm not. A, I'm not certainly a contemporary historian. But Walmart has had so much power uh, as an entity, as a, and you know they they're headquartered in our neighboring state of, of Arkansas. But they've had so much power and so much ability to get what they want to come into a community, or once they come into a community, or they just decide, like in our community, they were established in one place and they just moved to another place and mm-hmm. left all the banks and other things that built up around them uh, uh, high and dry. Uh, so uh, I, I'm I'm amazed that it was possible to prevent them from building a store any place they wanted to build it. I mean, prescinding from the 
from the you know the, the thought that they would do it where they where they were doing without any concern for the for the heritage of the area, but apparently people can still stand up to something like a Walmart and and able to uh, you know accomplish something. So I'm uh, I'm pleased, but I'm shocked to be honest with you. Yeah, there, there's there's one going up about four miles from my house, and mm-hmm. uh, there, there's no stopping it uh, in this case, although there's some effort to do so. Uh, but we don't have a Civil War battle site there. We have the home of Brian Grimes, the last uh, commissioned uh, general in the Confederate Army, oh, well. uh, 1865, you know, getting on the, <laughs> the bandwagon at the wrong moment. Yes, but, uh, right. That's well, the nearest thing we have. <laughs> that's right. Um, so, but, but getting back to Grant, um, well, I, I want to stay on this idea of, of his reputation changing. Mm-hmm. Um, what about the butcher story? Where I mean, that that is another myth that, that you know he he just threw his men recklessly in while Lee was the the elegant yes. tactician. Um, is, is there is there any way of getting around that story? Is that ever going to change? Will, will the public come around? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, as we both know, it's it's a myth mythology of that kind just hangs on and hangs on and hangs on. You know, don't the idea don't confuse me with the facts. My mind's made up. But mm-hmm. I think in this case, I think it really was the you know the whole lost cause phenomenon, the the actual effort uh, to make sure the war was understood from a Virginia perspective, and that. Lee came out of it looking like the like the the virtuous individual, and any of those Union people looking looking awful. So I I, mean, I really think that uh, it is part of this uh, conscious effort uh, to build up Lee, and to do that you have to knock down knock down Grant, uh, and to uh, to make this argument. And I don't have the figures handy now, but but I know I, I came across um, here a while ago uh, some statistics where somebody had. Uh, had looked at Grant and Lee and Sherman and Joe Johnston and took for every thousand men they took in a battle, what were their casualties? And by far, Lee had the worst record. And Grant was below him, then Sherman, and then Joe Johnston. Uh, so this idea that Grant is a butcher is just, at least statistically, doesn't, doesn't uh, you know, work. And the point is, is that uh, as in the wilderness and other uh, campaigns uh, in Virginia, particularly, uh, he was just wearing, uh, wearing uh, a Lee down. There's no doubt about it. Now, the myth that, again, that's the only reason he won, because he, he could throw all these people in and have them slaughtered, and then it didn't matter because he had more. Well, you, you don't see that in the historical record. And Gordon Ray has written, you know, as you know, a bunch of books mm-hmm. on the Virginia campaign, and, I, and I've been on panels with him, and he's very strong about uh, his respect for, um, uh, for Grant and the way, he, um, the way he fought in Virginia. Hmm. Well, you said you're working on a book on, on how Sherman and Lee have been, you know, the reputations of the hmm. two of them. Um, when, when do you see that coming out? Well... <laughs> Unfortunately, what I've done is I've literally put it on, you know, they talk about putting it on a, up on a shelf. That's about where it is right now. And I, I just I honestly don't know. It's it's all going to depend on uh, I've committed myself to, uh, to uh, you know, stay as executive director of the Grant Association and push through and continue the, the publication project. So probably it's not going to be till I till I get that done and so it may come down to me living long enough to, to get it done you know you get to a second retirement uh... that's right well frank uh, frank williams uh, jokes with me that he, I'm the only guy who know 
I, the only guy he knows who flunked retirement three times. So, you know. <laughs> wow. You know, I got an email from uh, uh, that purported to be from Frank uh, uh, Frank J. Williams. I knew yes. there was something suspicious because the name was spelled wrong. Did you get one of those? Yes, yes. Uh, apparently, he, he according to the email, he was in London and got beat up and wants me to send him 18, 1,800 pounds right that's, away. That's the one. In fact, our library uh, dean, uh, uh, Frances Coleman, who, who, of course, is on our board, she got one of those things because she came in and said, do you see that thing? She said, I started reading it, and then I thought, oh, my gosh, that's not the Frank Williams we know. <laughs> so... No, I don't. Think, I think Frank is just about six feet under with snow right now. But I, yeah, I don't think even London. And I'm just wondering if that if that's you know a universal spam or if it, uh, they got you know something through Frank's computer and all his friends and colleagues are getting it. But oh, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, who but knows? That, that's well, possible. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, it's always a pleasure talking with you. And unfortunately, we've come to the end of our hour, as happens too fast each week. Uh, but best of luck with the uh, the grant papers, and thanks for being on the show. Well, listen, I appreciate you uh, appreciate you inviting me, and when uh, Chuck Calhoun comes, you come along with him too, okay? Oh, that'd be fun. I, I hope I can do that. Okay, well, you take care. All right, care. and you too, and listeners, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.